Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. Early on in book two of his work on anger in chapter five, Seneca is going to bring up a very important distinction between the emotion of anger, which can be very destructive, and something that originates in anger, but which goes beyond it to the extent of making human beings essentially inhumane. And so he frames it in terms of a question. We can think of it in terms of an assertion on his part. We have to ask whether people who often behave like animals, and the word that he uses there is sivient, which means to rage like an animal, or it's actually used of animals. So people who behave in this way and who take pleasure, gaudent, right, who enjoy the shedding of human blood. And it doesn't necessarily have to be blood that we're fixating on. This is kind of a metonymy, like a part for the whole sort of thing. It could be those who enjoy demolishing other people psychologically. It could be those who enjoy getting people within their power and playing with them. It could be those who inflict other sorts of physical or mental anguish upon others. But those who take delight is another way of translating gaudent in this. And he says, are these people angry, irascantur, right? Or is there something else going on here that sometimes gets confused with anger? And he says, you know, if you think about this, they kill people from whom they've not received an injury or they've not received a wrong in urea, right? In urea is more than just simply damaging somebody or wounding their body or something like that. Nobody has done wrong to them. And they don't even believe that these others who they're forcing into the role of a victim have done so. Existimant, right? They don't assess these others as having harmed them. So you can ask, well, where is this aggression coming from? Where is this desire to harm coming from? And he says, this is not anger, ira, but a greater evil, maius malum, right? An evil greater than, than anger. And since anger is a pretty great evil for Seneca, as he said in other places, this is a really terrible one. And it's an evil that is incurable, insanible. You can't be brought back to a healthy state once a person has degenerated this far. So what is this then? He says that this is not anger, but what we could translate as either bestiality or brutality, feritas, wildness, being feral, right? And it's interesting that with human beings, this ferality takes the form for Seneca of this incredible aggression, this desire to harm for its own sake. Or it can also be understood as another term that he's going to use here and in other places in the work as cruelty, crudelitas, this willingness to inflict pain, not even willingness, but a prioritization, a desire to inflict pain upon other people. And now he's going to note how this is different from anger. We've already seen one key way. They haven't actually received a wrong or injury, and they don't actually think that they have. 
but they're wanting to hurt the other person anyway. He goes on and he says that they are prepared to receive injury, right? In order to do harm to the other people. So that tells you what the, the purpose, the point of this is. They want to hurt other people. They're cool with getting hurt themselves if that's what's required in the process. So they're not doing this because the other person has hurt them. I mean, it could be that other people did hurt them in the past, but this person hasn't. They just want to do something to them. And he says that they seek to harm others, not for the sake of vengeance, ultionum in ultionum in Latin, but actually for pleasure voluptas, right? Voluptatum in this case. So there's a very different, let's call it motivational structure going on here, which differentiates them not just from run-of-the-mill people who happen to be angry, but even from those who Seneca has discussed much earlier in the work in book one, those who are irascible, right? Being irascible means eh, you're touchy. You're more likely to take offense, to get angry, to act on your anger, right? It's a temperament. He's also going to talk about physical temperaments here in book two as well. These people have gone further than that. It's no longer anger. It's now something quite different. And he gives us a really interesting, another criterion for this by saying, these don't look like angry people. Literally their face is not that of an angry person. What does an angry person look like? You know, their features are clenched up. They've turned red or pale or whatever other color. They're gnashing their teeth. They're spitting. They're doing all these sorts of things. These people are actually in a different state. And he talks about them, for example, smiling, right? Or laughing. He talks about them rejoicing. Gaudent is the word that he's using there. We've seen that already here. They're enjoying this. They enjoy pleasure. They're literally, they, they reap the fruits, uh, the fruantur of pleasure and of otium, leisure. Uh, relaxation is another way to translate it. So these are people who are hurting others deliberately so that they can enjoy, they can smile, they can make themselves calm, right? And Seneca says, well, that's really different than how people are when they're angry. Now, anger does lead to this. If you continue it, if there's certain conditions that are met. And so this is different than anger, but it has its origin, right? It arises out of anger. And he talks about a frequent exercise of anger, exercitio, right? So we could translate this as use or attitude towards anger. So when you get angry over and over and over and over again, you are at risk for that anger ceasing to be just anger and slowly morphing into something more dangerous, more inhumane. There's something else that has to happen, a loss of clemency. Now you should remember that Seneca also wrote an entire book called on clemency, right? Clementia, this 
capacity to overlook, to forgive, to take offenses and disregard them or to let them go, right? To get over them, you could say. So when we lose that and we also slowly lose the memory of our human bonds, for example, those connecting us to the human race in general, to our neighbors, to our friends, to our family, to our co-workers, to people who are connected with us in other ways. When we cease to look at them as fellow human beings and we start to look at them as objects for our discharge of anger, aggressiveness, we might even say sadism over time, then what we see happening is there's a transformation that takes place. He says, trans eat, it goes over into crudelitas or cruelty. Right, And he says, this has its start from anger and then it turns into something some, you know, much, much worse. So that's the process by which it happens. And then he gives a bunch of examples. Uh, here, he gives us the example of Apollodorus, a tyrant who implicated other people in cannibalism, making them take part in that so that his supporters would, he would have something over them. That's cruelty, not just to them, but the victims, to Phalaris. Phalaris is very famous for having created a brazen bull in which the victims of his cruelty were put inside. The bull would be heated up. They would literally roast to death within it and they would be screaming. And there was a sort of apparatus to turn their screams into piping and everybody would gather around and kind of laugh at this as somebody was literally being burned or roasted to death. That's some hardcore cruelty there. He talks about Hannibal, somebody who would be very familiar to the Romans as not only, you know, the great enemy of Rome, who was a brilliant general, but also as somebody who was incredibly cruel right? So he tells us here, Hannibal seeing a ditch filled with human blood, he remarked, what a lovely sight. Again, there's that taking delight in human bloodshed. How much lovelier, Seneca says, would he have found it if he filled some river or lake? And he says, now he's talking to Hannibal, is it any wonder you're beguiled by this sight above all, seeing that you were born to bloodshed and became an intimate of murder from your intimacy for 20 years, luck will attend you supporting your cruelty and ever show you sights to please your eye around Lake Trasumene and around Cani and finally around your own city, Carthage, where he's defeated, right? And so it's interesting because Seneca here is saying, you know, you couldn't be otherwise. Look at how you were brought up, delighting in bloodshed. And so you became a general in part so you could shed other people's blood and demand them. Volessus, he talks about as well. And Volessus, he says, decapitated 300 men in one day, strode about the corpses with a haughty look as if he'd accomplished something splendid and wondrous, exclaiming in Greek, such a kingly deed. And then Seneca says, what would this guy have done if he was actually a king? This is not anger at work, but some greater evil, right? So this cruelty that this guy has, and you notice one of the common elements here that it's not just a matter of those 
exercise in cruelty, but it's also an exercise of power over others, a power that destroys, a power that tortures, a power that sheds blood for the sake of seeing that bloodshed. And I will point out that these are some on-point examples here. In book three, Seneca is going to discuss a number of other examples of cruelty and ferality or bestiality or brutality. One of the ones that really sticks out is quite late in book three, talking about Augustus visiting Vettius Polio. Vettius Polio was a guy who had lampreys or moray eels or something like that in a big pool and he's fattening them up. And the way he's fattening them up is serving them human beings. So there's a slave who breaks a cup, a crystal cup. So, you know, something a little precious. And Vettius, you know, Seneca calls it an unprecedented cruelty, orders that the slave be thrown to these eels, bitten to death, eaten up alive, right? In front of the emperor. And Augustus is like, smash all this guy's crystal. What is wrong with you? Now, this is an interesting case because as we've seen, Seneca is telling us that this is an incurable disease. At this point, he actually tells us that this is the sort of anger I've described, bestial, monstrous, bloodthirsty, on the point of being incurable, of something still greater doesn't give it a good scare. Augustus, in this case, is more powerful and he's exercising power on this other person. And, you know, we get a lot of examples of kings or military leaders who are doing things that show this kind of cruelty to others. He talks about Darius, Persian, Xerxes. He talks about Cambyses as well. He talks about Alexander the Great. He's doing this as a way to give, you know, a dig to Aristotle. Alexander does some bad things. He also uh, does some... You know, traumatization, you could say, of his friends like Elisimachus, who became a terrible person as well, of pruning Telesophorus of Rhodes, cutting his ears and nose. He put him in a cage like some sort of animal. He'd added wasting hunger, squalor, filth of his body. You know, his hands and knees in this cage grew calloused pads. And, and so he turns this human being, somebody who he had fought against, into just a complete caricature of a human being. And we get some Roman examples as well. Gaius Caesar gets talked about quite a bit. And so, you know, these are examples of the kind of cruelty that Seneca thinks we can develop into if we have the power over others and if we go down this line of frequent exercise of anger, losing humane sense of of clemency or forgiveness and our human bonds, we can be transformed into these horrific human beings that choose to do, desire to do, prioritize doing damage, harm, torture, and imposing death on other people. So this is very different from, but does arise from anger, according to Seneca. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.